Okay, let's uh, let's jump in here to Acts chapter 14 and uh, look as we get through most of this we'll get we won't do all of Acts chapter 14 but we'll we'll get through most of it which will bring us to just about the end of the first missionary journey of Paul. We said last week that you know as we we look at the world and as we look at what's happening here the world really isn't that different from Bible times. We just dress differently. Um, and that is that they're basically just a way of saying that fundamentally human nature hasn't changed. We are still the same. Um, we look a little bit different. The trappings of the world are a little bit different. But essentially, as people, our issues are still the same. We'll see here people who are worshipping actual idols. You know, We don't see a lot of that in our Western society. But our idols just look different. Same thing, just look different. And uh, so we also see that while that's true, while human nature is still the same, it just looks different. God is still at work in this world. God is still doing his work, calling his people to salvation. And we see that as we continue on through Paul's first missionary journey. So let's read through that as we um, make our way past here, past Antioch uh, and all. We come now to chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that when they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stood there, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And when these sayings, uh, and with these sayings, 
they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now and we look at the work that you do through your people, encourage us and strengthen us to go forward in the mission that you have called us to do. We would go forward not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but in the power of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The first missionary journey of Paul. So he has three major journeys he, he travels through that we see in the Gospel of Acts and in the journey to, to Rome. And this is the first of those three. The first is the shortest one. It's short, but it's filled with real highs and real lows. And in it, in the following journeys that, that we see, living Living for Christ and serving him is a life which is filled with both agony and ecstasy. It's, it can be, it's, it's both at the same time. Sometimes as we serve Christ, it is heartbreakingly hard. And other times it is just so overwhelmingly beautiful that it's hard to contain. And it's both of those things at all the time. Along this journey that we see Paul moving through in this first journey as we come to its, its end, we've been reminded as we've looked the last few, few weeks here that we are to declare the good news. That is our, our, our duty, our calling, our job as the people of God to declare the good news because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Here to proclaim the king and the kingdom and to encourage the people of God in this kingdom. The question is, how do we do that? How do we declare the news of God, the good news? And how are we good ambassadors? How can we each live as ambassadors, as missionaries for a different term here, as we've been called to do? And that's what we want to think of a little bit this morning. How can we do that? If we have been called to be ambassadors, if we've been called to be missionaries in this world, and that for all of us, how can we do that? The first thing I see here, and we'll basically break it up into the three cities that Paul visits from this this place, Iconium, Lystra, and then Derby, and seeing what happens here in each. The first, as we look through uh, Iconium, is to go in the power of the Lord. Go in the power of the Lord. Our key verse, if you will, as we look through what happens here in Iconium, verse three says, therefore, you know, after they've come, they've preached, people have heard, the opposition comes in verse two, says, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. We need to be people that are courageous in heart. Courageous in heart to be bold. Be bold in our life. It says here that they spoke boldly. But to speak boldly, for bold words to come from our mouths, bold speech comes from a place of boldness. It doesn't just happen. It has to come from somewhere. Truly bold speech comes from a bold heart. 
a courageous heart. Our words won't be bold if we don't have a strong and courageous heart. Your boldness isn't just talking confidently. You know, it, it's, it's not you know, some middle-aged dude in his pajamas in his mum's basement trolling the internet, telling everybody how bad they are. That's not boldness. Boldness isn't just saying what you think. Boldness isn't speaking confidently. You know, and I've heard a lot of times you know, with some old preachers and things that say, if you don't have anything of substance to say, say it louder. That's not boldness. Boldness isn't just that we say it louder or we say it with more force. That's not boldness. Boldness, boldness is what makes boldness is what makes us able to stand in hard times. It's got to come from something deeper than just our words. We need bold lives that speak boldly from deep belief. That's where boldness comes from. Deep belief. There is a very important reason why we need to be people that speak boldly, that speak boldly in our families, that speak boldly in our communities and in our world about the deep belief we have. Because when we don't speak, someone else will. When we don't speak boldly, somebody else will. And we have a world that is filled with people who want to speak boldly into the lives of the people around us and they will be deceived by Satan, filled with the lies of this world of sin and Satan. We need to speak boldly because our silence only leaves a void for someone else to speak into the lives of others. We need to be bold. True boldness, I said, it has a, a deep and powerful source. And so here in our verse here, which is, is repeated so often through scripture when it talks about boldness, it doesn't say they were speaking boldly. It says they were speaking boldly in the Lord, in the Lord. And that's something you see connected so often in the Bible with speaking boldly. Boldness isn't just about what comes out of our mouth, but it's the source of that boldness. We need to be bold in the Lord. This boldness that we need to speak with, this boldness that is going to, to share the gospel, that is going to make us good missionaries and, and testimonies for Jesus Christ in this world, comes from God in you. It comes from a changed life. It comes from the power that God builds and, and changes and moves within our life. What does this teach us about being bold? Well, as we look here, it says, be bold in the Lord. One thing it reminds us of is that we need to recognize that you are not alone. This is not about you plucking up the courage and just trying to be bold. Be bold in the Lord. God is with you. He is there to strengthen, to encourage, to guide, and to empower your words and your life. Boldness is not about you. Boldness is about what God is doing in you and that coming out. Recognize that you are not alone. And in that, spend time knowing God. Seek God in his word. Seek him in prayer. We think back to the beginning of Acts when we saw the church at first starting to experience the persecution and trouble as it began to rise in Jerusalem. 
And in Acts chapter four, it tells us, so when they heard that and the persecution that was rising and that they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ anymore, it says when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. We spoke a little about this on on Wednesday, but notice how they are seeking boldness based on the character of God. Lord, give us boldness because you are the God that created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. Spend time knowing God. And then as we know that God is with us, we recognize his presence with us and we spend time knowing him, follow him and obey his word. Do what he calls us to do. We need to be courageous in heart and we need to be courageous in life, in the way we live. This, I think, shows the fruit of a courageous heart. So as we have that deep belief in in God and we build that by knowing God and pursuing God, from that, from that courageous, deep belief comes a courageous, deep life, the fruit of a courageous heart. We need to be committed. Be committed. Your verse two tells you, your verse one says, they went in, they preached, multitudes came and started listening. The Jews get upset, verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. So already opposition is starting to brew. Tension is starting to simmer in Iconium already. But that opposition and that trouble and that tension doesn't scare them away. The very next thing it says, therefore, they stayed there a long time. The opposition is brewing. The tension is rising and it's going to boil over very quickly. But just because they saw opposition, they didn't run away. They were committed to it. See, boldness isn't just about words. It's not just about how we speak. Boldness is a life. They weren't frightened by the opposition. Reminds me of words like 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 58, where we're reminded, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Or Galatians 6 and verse 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. Be committed to serve God through the good times and the bad times. When things look hard, when opposition rises, and when things just don't look like they're going well, be prepared and committed to serve God in those dark times and in the good times. See, their commitment wasn't to a situation. They weren't committed to Iconium as long as Iconium was a good situation. Their commitment was to pursue the purpose of God. So it didn't matter the situation or the circumstances. Be committed. Be vocal. You know, we've said already they speak boldly. Courageous hearts will speak courageously. And they spoke boldly of God's grace. They spoke boldly of God's grace. You know, the truth is, as much as what goes on around us, people do not care about your take on COVID. They don't care about your take on Afghanistan. They really don't. What they need to know is how do I find peace in the midst of all this? How do I find truth in the midst of all of this? Care about knowing the love and peace and the grace of God. Speak God's grace 
in a world that desperately needs it. And that requires a full boldness. To boldly speak the grace of God means we're going to have to be courageous because grace has a context. The context of grace is one that people don't want to hear. The context of grace is difficult to speak because the context of grace is God is giving forgiveness and joy and freedom to a people who don't deserve it. Just like we read from from Joshua before, God says to the people, I brought you into the land and you live in houses you did not build and you eat from vineyards you did not plant. They didn't deserve any of it. It was grace that God gave them. And so we need to be bold enough to say God has a grace, but that grace has a context, and the context is our sin. And that's what causes the issues in our world. Be committed, be vocal, be dependent. It says that as they spoke boldly and as they proclaimed the grace of God, that God worked through them and showed himself powerful amongst them. It wasn't their boldness that made the difference, and neither is it going to be for us. The difference in this world isn't going to be that I am bold, and because I am bold and I believe deeply that that is going to make the difference in the world. The difference was not their boldness. The difference was that they boldly believed God, and God did the work. God showed himself grand through their boldness. They were willing to take that step and speak. What makes the difference in their life and in ours is the work of God through them. The work of God in the hearts of people. Godly boldness knows it's not me, but God. Knowing who I depend on gives courage. Be committed, be vocal, be dependent, be wise. So they come to the end of the stay here, says, and they became aware of this plot to kill them in verse six and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. Godly boldness isn't foolishness. They hear of a plot that is going to kill them. And they don't say, well, we're going to be bold. So we're just going to stand here and die. They run and they go to the next city. Godly boldness is not foolishness boldness wisely considers the circumstances and and weighs what we see and what we know and what is going to bring god glory here what is going to do the best for the witness of god boldness is not blind arrogance it's wisdom so as we become missionaries we go in the power of the lord that is He is the one who is going to work through us as we believe deeply in him and speak boldly for him. Secondly, as we now come into Lystra, they flee from Iconium and they come into Lystra in verse 8. Go for the glory of God. So we look here through through what takes place in Lystra. They come into Lystra as they they preach. There is a, a man there who has been lame his whole life, has not been able to walk his entire life. And uh, Paul produces, or with the power of God, a great miracle, and he can walk. It says in verse 14, but when the apostles, and here you'll notice it's not a capital A apostles, it's used in the sense of just messengers. 
the messengers of God. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. They perform this great miracle, and the people um, there then flock to them and worship them, begin to worship them as God. So much of what takes place here in, in Lystra reminds me of the ministry of Jesus and the way Jesus ministered to people. But the first thing I see here as we look at what take pla takes place here when we go for the glory of God means as the witnesses, as the missionaries of God, we need to be humble, be humble and see the needs of others. There is a wonderful interaction here in these verses. You know, as, as uh, Paul preaches, shares what, what goes on, verse 9 says, this man heard Paul speaking. He's listening, and Paul is observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Something wonderful in that description. I can almost picture it. I can almost imagine it. As Paul is there speaking, there's this man who can't walk, and he's just there, and he's, he's just fixated on Paul and what he's got to say, perhaps leaning forward, trying to take in every word, and Paul can see it. Because Paul's looking at him and he's watching him. You, you, you do that often when you speak, don't you? When you're out and you, you speak with people and, and you can see people that are picking me. I can see something's going on there. And Paul sees that in this man and he's watching him. And he can see that as this man is listening, belief is growing in his heart. Faith has blossomed in the heart of this man. He's invested in the message. And so, like Jesus, Paul, moved by this man's other need, heals him. And we obviously can't meet every need of people, but we do what we are able to do. The thing is that we need to remember that we, as the people of God, are in this world for the needs of others. We are here for others. I'm not a missionary. I'm not out to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to serve God for what I can gain. I'm a missionary for what I can give, what I can give out to my family, to my world, to my neighborhood, to those around me, to see their needs, to hear their voices. What is it that's causing them concern when we speak? What is it that they're clinging to? What is it that they're hearing? What is it that they're saying? What is the need in their heart? People need salvation, and you can see that when you look. You can hear it when you speak with them. People need healing too. You know, in meeting physical needs, we can only do so much. Even here, people need Jesus. Jesus is the one who can heal the hurts of life. Now, as they perform this, this miracle and this man finds life and he finds healing in Jesus, something erupts. This, this small rural town, which uh, they don't have a synagogue, which suggests there's probably not a very large Jewish influence in it, small at best. 
it's a rural town, so it, it's probably full of, as we can see, you know, paganism and worshiping of other gods. They're they're not the elites like some of the other towns that Paul has already been in, where they're influenced by the high. They're a lower class of people. They are, as we see here, are people that are given to paganism and superstition. And so when they see what takes place with Paul and Barnabas, they give high praise to them and they want to worship them. This is a tempting place for Paul and Barnabas to be in, to accept praise like this. We say, well, they're, they're just trying to honor them because of what they've done for the village or how they've helped them. Remember, though, that we are ambassadors, missionaries, missionaries. We are not what people need. Jesus is. I'm not what people need. Jesus is what people need. My message is not to draw attention to me or acclaim to me or worship to me. My duty is to speak boldly so that people will worship Jesus. Jesus is who they need. And as they, they do this, as the people rush to them and they try and, and, and worship them and offer sacrifices to them. Paul is very quick in saying, men, why are you doing these things? He says in verse 15, we are men with the same nature as you. He says, what are you doing? Don't, don't worship us. We're the same as you. We are weak and frail and sinful people just like you. You don't need us, he says. We want you to turn to the living God, he says. Turn to the living God. We are the same as the people around us with one very important difference. Jesus has forgiven us. We are saved by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. God didn't save me because I'm better than them or because my sin wasn't as deep as theirs. My sin condemned me just like their sin condemns them. But I believe Jesus. I've been forgiven and found him to be merciful and gracious. So we need to be humble and exalt Christ because he is alive and he is fulfilling. People, even today, you know, as quickly as, as, as you know, the people there are quick. They want to worship. They are ready to worship. And people, even today, are the same. They are ready and willing to worship. The problem is they'll worship anything. Anything that they think will fill feel, feel a void. Anything that they think will bring satisfaction. We are, as a people, quick to worship anything. We need to help people see that what they are worshiping is empty. Useless. For these people, it was actual idols. They thought these were the idols. They thought these were the gods who'd come down from heaven, that they had been worshiping in these idols all along, Zeus and Hermes. And it's not really that different today. It just takes different forms. We have all sorts of things which have become religions. Even, even today in our society right now, science has moved from being science to religion. It's something entirely different than what it was before. 
There are so many things that people do and love and believe and pursue and worship because they're looking for answers. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for fullness. And we will quickly cling to anything that we think will give us that. This is why it's so important for us to be bold in our speech, because if we're not speaking out, there are a thousand other things that will take their worship instead of Jesus. Despite all of our beliefs, despite all of the things that we worship as a society, we are still empty. We're still trying to find that one thing that will satisfy us. So point to Jesus who is living and who is fulfilling and satisfying in every possible way. Paul even tells them here that he is powerful and good. He is good even to those who do not believe him. God isn't powerless, but the creator of all things, and he uses that power in goodness. We need, as we are missionaries, we need to go in the power of the Lord. We need to go for the glory of the Lord. And finally, we need to go in the strength of the Lord. As Lystra ends, verse 18, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. They tried. Then it says, then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Go in the strength of the Lord. Here is a difficult truth of this life. Life hurts. Life hurts. Be resilient. Sometimes people don't listen. We are going to give our lives proclaiming, boldly proclaiming the gospel, boldly pointing people, you don't need me. You don't need these silly, useless things you're working. You need Jesus. And we're going to preach that. And we're going to speak about it often. And we're going to do our best to share that. But like the people there in Lystra, Sometimes people don't listen. Paul and Barnabas plead with them, don't worship us. Worship God. Worship Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. But they don't listen, and they sacrifice to them anyway. Sometimes people don't listen, no matter how hard we plead, no matter how much we pray, no matter what effort we put into, sometimes people don't Listen, we plead and we plead and we exalt Christ faithfully. And it seems to have no effect. And the truth is, we all know it, that hurts. We sometimes question, what am I doing wrong? Am I not being bold enough? Am I not being what I should be? What am I doing wrong that they're not listening? It hurts because we know if they just listen, if they just hear, Jesus would free them. It hurts because we know what happens when we reject Christ. We know what that means. That hurts. In Luke chapter 19, it tells us that Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he wept. 
It says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. If you just listened, if you would just seen me, it would have been different. Sometimes people don't listen. And sometimes people cause us pain. In Derby, Paul is not there very long, it seems, and he is stoned, dragged out of the city and left for dead. They suppose him to be dead. People stir up trouble back in Iconium and they poison the minds of people. You know, today, we, we know today that there are Christians today that will not see this day out. But people cause pain in many ways. People reject, people ridicule, people torment, people bully. And they don't just reject Jesus. They reject you. You know, this idea of the, the prosperity gospel in, in its many and varied forms that runs rampant through the West is just a lie. God never promised that this life was going to be full of wealth and ease and glory and blessing. Is he going to bless us? Yes, of course he is. But that doesn't mean that this life is going to be easy. Sometimes as we serve Christ, it just hurts. But your scars tell a story. Your scars tell a story of sin. You know, as we go through life and we feel the hurts and the pains that come at life, as we see people reject and as we, people don't listen and we, we bear these scars, your scars tell a story of sin, the scars that are left on your heart and your body, they are reminders of sin. Maybe they're marks of our own sin that are left on us. But they remind us that sin is devastating. The pain that comes to life, the scars we bear through life, through the journeys we've been, remind us that the reason we bear these scars is because of sin and the effects of sin are just devastating and heartbreaking. It reminds us that sin is a controlling and binding and blinding and condemning thing. It reminds us that we fight a spiritual battle. Those scars remind us why we fight. They remind us why we must be bold. Your scars tell a story of sin. Your scars tell a story of deliverance. The scars that you bear in serving Jesus are the scars of life. They are marks of Jesus in our life. Paul says to the Galatians when he writes Galatians. So this area where he's at, this is Galatia. So later when he writes this letter to Galatians, this is the people, this is the place he is writing to. And he says, from now on, let no one trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. But those marks, those scars show that you survived. Those marks and those scars show that Jesus delivered. They are reminders that God rules. Each mark, each scar you bear in your life is a story of God's power. 
is a story of God's work in your life. Your scars tell a story of sin. They tell a story of deliverance. And they tell a story of God's goodness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. Each mark tells about Jesus in my life. Each mark shows that God will not let me go. Each mark shows that God is still working in me. It shows that God can still use me. The marks in your body, the marks in your heart, tell a story of God's care. They tell a story of God's provision of life and deliverance. So keep walking. The people of Derby take Paul and they stone him and they drag him outside the city, believing him to be dead, and they leave him there for dead. And we're told there in verse 19 and 20 that as the uh, disciples that have come from that city and have heard the gospel, because many have come, we'll see verse 21, many believe there. They come out and maybe they pray over there or maybe they're watching, maybe they're trying to lift him up. And Paul gets up. And he walks into the city. And the next day, he walks out of that city to continue preaching the gospel. He continues moving on. Keep walking. God gives life. They supposed he was dead. But Paul gets up and he walks away. The world thinks, the world thinks that if they say enough about Christianity, if they abuse uh, the, the beliefs of Christianity enough, if they push Christians around enough that they can crush it, get rid of it. But they can't because God gives life. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side. That means press in, squeezed from every possible place where it looks like there's no way out. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. God gives life. Keep walking because God gives strength. How does Paul get up that day from being stoned to the place where people thought he was dead and the next day walk 16-ish kilometers, I think, to the next town? How does he do that? God strengthens. 
God strengthens us. We, we know the passage that Paul says you know, about the thorn in his flesh and about the many things that, that buffered him in his life. And he says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. No matter what you endure, God gives you life, strength, and satisfaction. You've probably heard the, the saying around, it's, it's popular, you see it in TV, Christian-y TV things and, and places around that, that God will never give you more than you can handle. That is rubbish. Bible says that nowhere. God is constantly giving you more than you can handle. And the reason he does it is because he is the way out. That's what 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says. He gives you more than you can handle because he is the escape. He is the escape. He gives strength. Keep walking because God gives life. God gives strength. And finally, God gives hope. Why did Paul keep walking? You know, how did he keep walking? Well, God gave him the strength. The question is, why? Why would you get up from there being stoned for preaching Jesus Christ and go back to a town which you already had trouble in to preach Christ again? Why? Because he had hope that God will save his people. Jesus is worth it. There is joy deep in the pain. Jesus said it in Hebrews chapter 12. It said of Jesus that he saw beyond the pain to see the joy. We're messengers of hope. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse 16 says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, Paul wrote this, the one who was just stoned and left for dead, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the, the things which are not seen are eternal. Being a missionary for Jesus Christ, fulfilling our duty to proclaim the good news and to be ambassadors in this world isn't easy. We carry a glorious message in a very fallen world. Trying to live the gospel as we experience it in this world, in a world which is full of the consequences of sin. Even in our own lives. It's hard trying to share the gospel with people who don't want to see and who don't want to hear and who won't listen. But remember, you are not alone. God is with you. He is strengthening you. He is carrying you. He is empowering you. So go in the power of the Lord. Go for the glory of the Lord. Go in the strength of the Lord. Our text, which will continue with more next week says and when they had preached in verse 21 the gospel to that city and made many disciples the very city that stoned him had many disciples 
Many people will become disciples as we minister the gospel of God's grace. But we need to go and we need to be bold. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenges. As it pushes us and, and draws us to be the people we need to be. Help us, dear God, as we look to you to be bold. Dear God, do not let us leave a void in this world which will be filled with the voices of evil. Let our voices be loud. Let them be clear. Let the glorious gospel of grace be heard. Dear God, as we suffer the scars and the marks of service for you, encourage us, heal us, and carry us to get up and to keep walking for you. Praise Amen.